With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Deb Bowen. And I'm Samantha Fay. And we're just delighted and honored that you are with us whenever it is that you listen to us. We are, for those of you who may not know this and who listen to us through iTunes and whatnot, we are live every Sunday night Eastern at 9 o'clock um, and would love to have you uh, join in and listen to us live. So we're always happy to have you whenever you're with us, however. Um, if you are a regular listener to our show, you know that before we get into the evening's topic, uh, Samantha has a crystal of the week, one or the other of us has a meditation of the week, and I have an animal of the week, uh, all of which we will have for you before we talk about tonight's topic, which is entitled Mysterious Landscapes. You know, I'm just amazed at things that I just don't know, Samantha, and I don't know a lot. Oh, same here. I mean, it's just But that's amazing. what makes it fun. There's always something to discover. Always something new to learn and something new to discover. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where shall we begin, dear? Um, I'll start with the meditation, if that's all right with you. Lovely. Thank you. Okay. So, this is a meditation that's designed to help you um, get a message or an answer to something that you are worried about in your dreams. So, before we begin, I just want you to think about something right now that you're worried about. Is it something connected to work or money or relationships or your personal health and fitness. Just think about something that's just kind of on your mind. If you could have, like, the amazing, most amazing psychic in the world give you a 100% answer to your question, what question would you ask? So think about that as you're listening to my voice. And I'd like for you to close your eyes if you're in a safe place to do so. And take a moment to just focus within Concentrate on your breath and breathe in, filling all your cells and tissues and muscles with your cleansing air. And as you exhale, feel any stress, anxiety, and worry just flood out of your body, allowing yourself this moment in time to just relax and reconnect to your source. And I'd like for you to picture a beautiful amethyst crystal cave. See yourself walking inside this cave and touching the walls of this beautiful purple cave. And see the energy of this crystal coursing through your body and filling you with its violet light. 
breathe this beautiful purple color into your body, knowing that it's absorbing for you any negativity, stress, or chaos that may be bouncing around in your energy. And take a moment to walk around your cave and feel settled and comfortable and at home in this beautiful amethyst. And see yourself sitting in the center of this cave. And I want you to see a piece of paper and a pencil in front of you. And visualize yourself writing your question down. In my dreams, I would like the answer to. And see yourself writing that question. And when you're done, fold up the piece of paper and ask an angel to come and take that piece of paper for you. And just see a beautiful angel flying into the crystal cave, taking that piece of paper for you, flying out of the cave, knowing that this message will be taken to your spiritual team knowing and affirming that you will have an answer to your question within the week. And say thank you. Take another deep breath. And open your eyes. Hey, Samantha. Did you do that with us? I did. Okay, good. I did. I want to hear from people if you hear your message. Usually when um, I've done that meditation for myself, it's, Maybe a couple of times I've gotten the answer that night, but usually within five days I'll get the answer to that question in my dreams. Nice. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. You want me to talk about our animal of the week? Sure. Okay. So since two of our um, mysterious landscapes in tonight's show are in desert or arid kind of places, I thought I would talk about somebody. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever talked about this animal before. Um, but in any case, tonight's animal, four-legged person, is Armadillo, who wears his armor on his back. Um, He carries um, with him the ability to create his boundaries, which is uh, what the subtitle of the Armadillo entry is in David Carson's and Jamie Sam's medicine cards, which is what I'm working from tonight. So armadillo teaches us to define our space, to not let too many people into our world when it is not for our highest good. So armadillo asks us to ask ourselves the following questions. Am I honoring the time I need for my personal enjoyment? Do others treat me like a doormat? Why do I always get upset when I'm taken for granted? Is there a reason I'm being a yes person? And so answer all of those questions as they relate to your boundaries and make yourself some clear decisions about what you will and will not allow into your energy field. And so give yourself permission to say that you are worth time and space that is just yours. It's really important that you learn to create that armadillo type of armor around yourself, leaving yourself vulnerable, because armadillos are vulnerable on their bellies, but but also at the same time protecting yourself and giving yourself 
um, the honor of being cared for and allowing yourself to be safe within your own boundaries. And that's the gift Armadillo gives us. That's very nice. Okay. Armadillos always remind me of Steel Magnolias, the movie when she had the oh, Armadillo yes, Queen's of, Cake. Uh, bachelor Cake. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, Weezer in that play one time. I know. I saw you. You were wonderful. <laughs> so so we... um, I got like three or four emails this weekend from people asking me what are some stones I can use um, to enhance my psychic development and open my third eye. So I just thought I would do the crystal of the week on kind of a good grouping of crystals that you can work with to open your third eye. Um, and these are found in my um, Etsy store, Chakra Chick, and it's they're the crystals for psychic development. And these are really good stones for opening your third eye and increasing your psychic awareness. Um, one is sodalite, which is a really good throat chakra and third eye chakra stone. Um, what I like about sodalite is it helps you to remember your purpose on earth, why you're here. Um, it also gives you the courage to speak your truth. Amethyst is, of course, a wonderful stone for everything. I think you and I would agree, right, Deb? I'll be all healer for a reason. That's, that's right. Um, it helps to restore your energy and to clear negativity. Um, but what it really does is it helps to awaken your crown chakra and your third eye together, and it helps you to have um, a more profound connection with your higher guides. Um, clear quartz, which is called the master healer, is an energy amplifier, so it will work to amplify the energy of the other stones in that bag. Um, it also helps to open your third eye, and it helps you to see clairvoyantly. It helps you to see more clearly. Labradorite, which is really just an amazing stone, if you feel that you are empathic um, but you still want to be psychic but you just don't want to feel everything, make Labradorite your go-to stone. Um, it's often called a stone of magic because it looks like there's actually this magical light trapped inside. Um, working with Labradorite helps you to understand your soul purpose, helps to open your third eye, and it helps to enhance your clairvoyance and clairaudience, and it helps to um, calm your anxiety so that you can tune in more clearly. And then the last stone that comes in that bag is Moonstone, um, which is a wonderful stone for um, helping us to love ourselves and accept ourselves and open ourselves up to our intuitive abilities without fear. It's a, it's a very protective stone, so while you're opening your third eye, it will protect your energy. It helps to awaken the third eye, but it also ignites the heart chakra. And if you've heard me talk before, um, about compassion, how the most important thing in intuitive needs is compassion. Moonstone helps with that. Um, it also helps you to remember your dreams, and it is said to stimulate the pineal gland, which is um, what helps to awaken the third eye. It's recommended for anybody who uses psychic tools like the tarot, pendulum, or runes. It can be found in my bag, which is called Crystals for Psychic Development on my Etsy store. And I put them all in the chat room for you, except Thank I have you. a confession. I can okay. never spell Labradorite, so don't correct oh. me. I've spelled it wrong, anybody, okay? <laughs> That's okay. I told you I just learned to spell fluorite. I know it. I could spell fluorite, but Labradorite I never can spell. I don't know if you all know this, but fluorite is F-L-U-O. Yeah. Like phonetically, that bothers me, but anyway. I digress. <laughs> 
Well, there we go. Okay, I know. I just had a conversation on Facebook with a friend of mine about adverbs, so I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Helping verbs, helping verbs. There are 23. M is, okay, sorry. All right, quit. <laughs> that's from my teaching days. <laughs> oh, my golly, that's so funny. Okay, so, Samantha, let's tell folks uh, about... Um, uh, these Are places. mysterious things. Okay, so um, the idea for this show came to me because I was watching a um, film clip on the Airstall tunnels, and I think I'm mispronouncing that. I think I mispronounced like 80% of the stuff we talk about. And all of you guys are very, very kind to me because you never send me emails going, um, "Hello, lady." Um, but it's get to the spelled... one talk about that's in Spanish. Oh, I know. Good luck. Good luck with that, Doug. Um, the Erdstall tunnels are spelled E-R-D-S-T-A-L. So I watched this show on these mysteries and I on these tunnels, and so of course I went to the internet and started looking them up, and it kind of like left me going on to this other, all, researching all these other things. And then Deb and I talked about it, and we just decided to cover um, four mysterious places on earth because we got such good feedback from our show on the um, Nazca glyph line so we thought we'd do something similar do you want me to start with the um, Erdstall tunnels would you that would be mm-hmm. great how would you say that I, I, Erdstall Erdstall yeah. I'm not sure okay all right these okay if, if you're at a computer um, Google the name while, while you're listening to me talk so that you can see them because it really is something you have to see. If you are um, a Hobbit fan, I think you'll really enjoy this mystery because they look like little tunnels that were made for Hobbits. There are over 2,000 of these Airstall tunnels throughout Europe that date back to the Middle Ages. For example, there are 700 in Bavaria and 500 in Austria. They're also found in France and Great Britain. But it's called Central Europe's Last Great Mystery. They are these tiny tunnels, and nobody knows who dug them or why. The word that I can't pronounce, the word Erstal is German and means earth stable or mining tunnel. They are narrow tunnels that have been carved into small oval-shaped tunnels. The passages and height of the tunnels is incredibly small, each measuring just a few feet high by a few feet wide. Some of them at certain points appear to have small built-in benches. Another aspect of the tunnels are these choke points called slip-outs. These uncomfortable tight holes act as transition points between portions of the passages that are dug at higher and lower elevations, requiring anyone passing through to contort and squeeze their way by. Picture like, um, I don't know if any of you guys are a fan of The Great Escape like I am, um, but if you, can, if you loved that movie and you can remember when like Charles Bronson was on his belly and he was like, literally crawling through the tunnel. That's kind of how these Airstall tunnels work. Um, They are notable for having only one point of entry and exit. They are usually tucked away um, in footprints of old settlements, or some of them are hidden in the forest. This feature made the airflow through the tunnels practically non-existent, and that's what makes them so mysterious, because Without airflow, what could these have been used for? 
While it is likely that such tunnels were created during the Middle Ages, some believe that they date as far back as the 12th century, the complete lack of archaeological signifiers in the passages makes it really impossible to date. There are no records in any historical text and writings of these tunnels being created or used for any reason. There is not one single written record of construction of an Erstal tunnel dating from the medieval period. Also, nothing has ever been found in the tunnels. No carvings, no tools, nothing. Among locals, they are called goblin caves and mandrake caves. The tunnel entrances are sometimes located in the kitchens of old farmhouses or near churches and cemeteries or, like I said before, in the middle of a forest. There's a town in northern Austria that offers guided crawls. Can you imagine, Deb? No. Yes. All right, it's okay there. Um, it, this, this one guided tour, you go into this tavern, and then you walk into this, and you pay your little fee, and then you walk down into the basement, and they lift a trap door, and that's the entrance to one of these Erdstall tunnels, and you have to crawl your way through. That would... Yeah, that would be terrifying to me. I read um, one that said that, that, but that there was this notion that some of them were connected. Yes, yes, some of them are connected. That's that, those slip-outs, and some uh-huh. of them aren't. It's really weird. Um, the vaults could not have served a practical purpose as dwellings to store food, for example, if only because the tunnels are so inconveniently narrow. Besides, some fill up with water in the winter. Also, the lack of evidence of feces indicated they were not used to house livestock. All right, you ready for some theories? Oh, yeah. One theory is that the tunnels were used for storage, but the narrow slip passages and the fact that many of them lie below the waterline and occasionally fill with water make this seem kind of impractical. There's an Erdstahl researcher named Joseph Weichenberger who believes the tunnels were created by farmers to hide their food and families when marauding tribes came through to invade. He believed the peasants would take temporary shelter in the tunnels along with their valuables, allowing the invaders to pass overhead. The slipouts separating the chambers, he believed, were put in place to trap oxygen in each section so people could move deeper as the oxygen in the chamber depleted. Um, This is probably also a false theory because the Erdstall passages are so claustrophobic. Also, they only have one entrance. So if they were used as temporary shelter or hiding, the ability to cut off the air supply to the entire system makes the proposition extremely dangerous. Not impossible, but pretty risky. Everything I read said you basically had to crawl in there, and in some places, mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 couldn't. I mean, you couldn't stand up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some people believe they were created as navigation tools for souls passing to the other side. Others believe they were created to be used as hiding places for demons. Mm-hmm. Local folklore in Austria say they were built by goblins. Uh, Because they resemble the birth canals, some believe they were used for spiritual rebirthing ceremonies. And others believe they were used as dungeons for the disabled. As what for the disabled? Dungeons. Oh. There seems to be no evidence of of human or animal habitation. Uh -uh. I know. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. 
Some theorize that they were escape tunnels because some of them lead out from castles, but not all of them. So I don't know. Um, The tunnels were explored by amateurs until recently. Uh, And then I couldn't find an exact year, but fairly recently a group has formed to study these tunnels. And the group includes cave researchers, geologists, and engineers. So they um and they meet every year and they explore a different part of these airstall tunnels that go throughout Central Europe, and they just try to find some type of answers to to this mystery. Samantha. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh my, folks, I have lost Samantha. Oh no, uh, I can, I can or hear you. Can you all hear me? If somebody would write in the chat room and let me know whether it's me or Samantha that has disappeared. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh my! Hold on. That's so weird. Okay, it says Samantha is there. You hear both of us, okay? But you can't hear me. Make sure you're. Oh, I'm talking to you like you can hear me. Thank you, everybody. I can't hear Samantha. That's weird. And Mercury isn't even retrograde. Okay, I don't know what to do. Shoot, I bet I'm talking over her, aren't I? No, you are not. Um, this is so weird. Uh, let me. Can Samantha hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I'm typing. Oh, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Well, All right, everybody. Call. I'm going to try to call Deb back. Uh, so there's there'll okay, be a I'll little be quiet pause for a minute. And figure out what to do. Um, I'll. You know, I'll. I know what I'll do. Deb, call into the show. And hopefully let you on that way. And make sure your mute button isn't hit. There. Okay. So, Mercury is scheduled to go retrograde at the end of this month, but apparently it has affected us um, a little bit early, which is not the end of the world. I will try to... um, see if I can connect her onto this show in a different way. But while I'm waiting for her to figure out what she's going to do, um, I think the Aristotle tunnels make us think about the fact that there is so much in our history that we don't know. And we kind of put the pieces together based on um, presumptions in many, many cases. I mean, I think it's fascinating that they're called uh, goblin um, tunnels. All right, let's see if that lets... Am I here? Deb, yeah, can I'm you hear here. Me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yay, okay, I'm back. All is well. Oh, that was weird. I know, that's never I was happened. telling everybody that Mercury doesn't go retrograde till the end of the month. No, and I've been reading about Saturn, Saturn going forward and some great things are happening, but not apparently with my electronics today. So I apologize and thank you for holding down the fort, Samantha. That's okay. <laughs> okay. All right, before we move on to your first mystery, do you want to um, have say anything else about the tunnels? No, I just think they're fascinating and, you know, just an interesting thing, isn't it? I think that's do all you I need. believe in little people? Of course. <laughs> you mean like fairies like and those tunnels. elves and all those guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, because I feel like those tunnels kind of, you know, are good, um, I don't want to say evidence of that, an indicator that there might be something to those stories. Of course I believe in those people. Who knows, right? Right. All right, what um, mystery 
are you going to talk to us about? I am going to start with uh, talking about the Blythe Intaglios because I'm just amazed at this whole concept. Um, This is two words, folks, and Samantha can put it in the chat room for me if she would. The first word is Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E. And the second word is a Spanish word. It's intaglio, I-N-T-A-G-L-I-O-S. And I never knew of these until we started this research for tonight's show. And it's amazing because they're so doggone big, nobody could see them. I know that sounds crazy, but they're so large that from the um, ground level, you know, you'd probably walk right over them. Um, they really they look like after, the Nazca glyph lines, but that's in exactly California. right. They do exactly that, except that they are figures. They are human figures and animal figures, and they are found on the ground near Blythe, California, in the Colorado desert. So they're um, just east of Big Maria Mountains um, and west of Highway 95 near the Colorado River. So they're sort of just at the border of Colorado and. Uh, I'm sorry, of California and Arizona. So they're just fascinating. They are geoglyphs, um, which the, another word for that is intagliago, which means anthropomorphic geoglyphs. And they're, they're different from petroglyphs in, in some ways in that they were created by scraping away layers of dark rocks and pebbles to reveal a stratum of lighter soil or gravel. Um, and so uh, the most famous of them is this this humanoid uh, figure that's 170 some feet tall, long. And so really they're very they're seen best from the sky. So it's just amazing. Um, they are uh, were not seen until airplanes really. Now the the native people from that area knew they were there. And there are lots of theories about how old they are and who built them, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But but non-native people were not aware of them until the 1930s. Um, there are several dozen of these figures. One theory is that they were um, ceremonial in nature. There's some other ideas about why why they're there. Um, some people maintain, some researchers maintain that they come from a prehistoric period. Other people uh, say that they range from 900 to 12, 900 BCE to 1200 CE. So they're not really sure, with even with carbon dating and so forth. They were first discovered by non-native people in 1932 by a pilot um, who was flying over the area between Las Vegas and, and California. Um, and then he, of course, involved the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles and all sorts of, of other folks. So um, it, nobody really knows why they're there, um, what the purpose was, why somebody went to the trouble of, of scraping away all of that rock to make something this large. Um, there are a couple of, of male type of figures, um, kind of stick figures, kind of stylistic, um, 
and they've encased them in kind of a pentra, uh, uh, pentagon and uh, just uh, uh, fence them off. There's another that they think might be representative of a horse or a uh, mountain lion. And if it's in fact a horse, that would make the dating much later because the horse is being introduced into the North American continent so much later. There is one that's a snake, uh, and it, it is so detailed, the snake, which is, I'm looking to see if I can figure out how big it is. I can't tell you that. But it is so long, but it is so detailed in, in its design that you can see its eyes. They've put in the eyes. There's another one of a fisherman um, who's holding a spear and, and two fish at his feet. Just fascinating. Don't know why they're there, how long they've been there, and there are now places to. Um, there now it's a, a, a national park you can go and and visit and and so forth uh, to see them, but that has not been there for, for terribly long. Um, there's nobody really knows much about them, and and really, if you were driving across the desert because of the way that they're kind of. Um, inverse bias relief, you wouldn't see them unless you knew they were there. You, They were first spotted from the air. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah, that really is. I mean, what do you think they are? Oh, I think some. if somebody went to that much trouble to, to, make, to make these things, there was a reason for them. And again, because they are so big, and seen from the air makes you wonder about extraterrestrial stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, know, how can like, you not, right? Exactly. Exactly. Just like the, the lines in um, South America. You know, they make you think, wow, you know, was this a landing information? Was the snake, for example, the first thing that, that hit me when I was reading about this today intuitively was that the snake may be a symbol to warn um, um, extraterrestrials about the river, you know? Mm. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. I just, I wonder it's about that. Yes, I don't know. I'm just mm. fascinated. Mm. So there you go. Um, but you can go visit them. Um uh, but how do you visit? Do you know what I mean? Like, because if you walk over them, do you know what you're walking over? You can't walk over them. They're they're enclosed in fences now to keep people from doing that because some of them have been damaged by all-terrain vehicles and motorcycles and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, um, they they they're now fenced off. You can't do that. But you can um, you can stand next to them. And, you know, of course, just like in any kind of national park kind of place, there are signs and so forth so that the you can see the aerial views, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That is really, really neat. I know it. Uh, Michelle has written in the chat room that she thinks there may be a correlation with Area 51. I, it makes you wonder. And, you know, of course, there's always my fascination with the San Luis Valley. Um, and, and you know, in Colorado and Utah. So there's just a lot of stuff. That whole that area, that's, I know, that whole area, what is that parallel, um, 
that line that cuts through America that's supposed oh, to the cut the UFO highway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That is all so along cool. that, whatever that highway number is, I can't remember it, but yes. So, well, anyway, there you go. Um, that's a quick that. break and talk about our sponsors, and then we'll finish up with our last two mysteries that we've researched. Okay. Um, as as always, we are sponsored by Audible. Um, mm-hmm. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash psychic teachers, you will get a free one-month trial of this um, wonderful online listening platform. This, um, this week, I thought, what should I recommend? Because there aren't a lot of um, books on Mysterious America on Audible, unfortunately. Um, so I typed in Developing the Third Eye because I knew my meditation was going to be on that. And they've got some really cool um, little meditations and books on that. They have The Pineal Gland and Your Third Eye by Dr. Jill Wexler. Um, they have a third eye meditation um, that has guided its guided meditation and mindfulness exercises to open your third eye. And then there's this one that looks um, really interesting to me. It says, Chakra Meditation Bundle, Guided Meditations for Chakra Balancing, Opening Your Third Eye, Chakra Cleansing, and Energy Healing. Oh, yay. That's good to know. Yeah. Because I, had, I, I did a reading with somebody this afternoon, and we were talking about resources for that, and I can now know that I can recommend something on Audible for that. That's great. Yeah, they have a lot of good stuff on Audible. They've got um, the Psychic Development Guide for for Beginners, Astral Projection, the Complete Guide to Shockers and Auras. Like, it, there's a lot of good stuff on Audible. So that's audibletrial.com backslash psychic teachers. There you go. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Samantha, let's while while we're taking a break here, let's tell folks about some of the cool things that you and I have and are are doing right now. So you go okay. first. Oh, okay. Um, well, I I put my soul plans up last week, and they sold out in like a minute. So I'm going to be putting them up again tomorrow, and hopefully, um, you know, those of you that have been emailing me will have a chance to to get at it. So I'm still doing my soul plan readings, and really, really enjoying that. Um, I've got some um, cool little things going on on my Etsy store. I've been creating these downloadable e-courses. Um, I have one on the guide, like a, like a beginner's guide to crystals, and it includes lots of practical information because I, I don't like reading books, um, you know, that are just a lot of fluff. I like I like reading stuff that gives me like what I can do with my stone today. So this e-course tells you how to cleanse your crystal, uh, what crystals can be cleansed in water and salt, and what needs to be cleansed in rice, Um, practical things like where to put your crystals in your home, what the different shapes mean, um, what stones work well together, like combinations, um, all sorts of good stuff. It's um, over 30 pages. I have another e-course that's um, almost 50 pages called Manifesting Miracles, and it teaches you how to create a goal book in the same way that I did um, when I manifested my um, pregnancies, my house, my job, my writing gigs. Um, So lots of really good information in there, including um, what I think is a really good meditation, um, the Power Thought Bubble Meditation that helps you to manifest subconsciously even when you're just going throughout your day Um, so that's up there and I'm going to be putting um, two more up this week about healing your money mojo and opening up your third eye so that's all on my Etsy store which is chakra 
chick.com, C-H-A-K-R-A-C-H-I-C. But if you go to our Facebook page, I usually link something to that. Um, so it's easy to find it that way too. Good, wonderful. Um, and for those of you who have been sending me emails and asking me about when I'm going to be offering my Beginner to Row course again, uh, watch for that too on our Psychic Teachers Facebook page and on my website. Uh, I'll be making announcements about that. That's coming along here uh, in the next couple of weeks when I'll be starting up my Beginner to Row course again. That really was um, was wonderful, and I'm continuing a Tarot mentoring program, which I will start a new round of as well in the next couple of weeks. I will also, I'm really excited about this. I've been uh, invited to do a workshop um, in the center of the state. I'll, I'll actually be in Raleigh in September at um, Celestial Movements and Art and you can go to their website and see the registration information about that. I'll be putting that up as well uh, sometime early this week. So if you would like to meet me in um, the center of the state sometime in, in September, it's the 18th, I believe it's Sunday the 18th, uh, I'll be there, and I'm doing a workshop on crystals, actually. So I'm excited about that. That'll be so cool. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. So good. Thank you. All right. It's your turn again, ma'am. Well, do you want to tell us about the Zen room? No. Oh, oh, are we not doing that this week? Oh, well, still everyone go to the zenroom.com.net. They have really cool chakra t-shirts. They do. They do. And they were our sponsor last month, and we're very grateful for them. So thank you so much to the Zen room for having been with us. And I also just wanted to remind everybody, if you get a chance to go onto iTunes and leave a comment for us because it helps people to find us, um, and it's super fun to go and, and read them. I like to look at what people say, that, you know, about what's working and, and, um, and what they enjoy about the show. It helps us to make the show even better. So we appreciate all of that. All right, back to the next mystery. The next mystery that I researched for us to discuss is called America's Stonehenge. It's Mystery Hill, and it's located in New Hampshire. And this, again, is something where we don't really know what it is, why it was created. Um, it's um, said to be a 4,000-year-old megalithic astronomical complex, a lost monastery wreckage of Irish monks, or is it the work of 18th-century farmers? We don't know. It consists of a series. Go ahead, what? Or is it just a big hoax? Or is it just a big hoax? There's lots of writings that it is just a big hoax. And and there's some good evidence behind that, too. Um, Mystery Hill consists of a series of small stone walls, underground chambers, and a one-acre granite outcropping that has rock structures built on it. It's been carved with grooves and possibly drainage ditches. The Petit family originally owned the site, and it largely went unnoticed until 1937 when William Goodwin bought it. He was a historian and an insurance executive. He was looking for evidence that Vinland existed, which is proof that Vikings had been in the area. You know, there's a lot of people who believe that the Vikings came here first, not Christopher Columbus, not any of the other invading people. Um, he believed that the site was built by Irish monks fleeing from invading Vikings, and he believed that these monks traveled all the way to New Hampshire and built this stone structure as their residence. However, there's really no evidence to support this. 
1956, the Stone family bought the property. Once again, proving my theory about names. Isn't that weird that they would buy this and their name is Stone? Why is that weird? <laughs> they, they named the place American Stonehenge and began charging for tours. Um, Barry Fowl, a marine biologist and an amateur historian, wrote about the site in his 1976 book called America B.C. He claimed that it was the site of ancient um, Phoenician and Iberian scripts. Some of the stones at Mystery Hill were quarried using primitive stone-on-stone techniques, um, claiming that two reputable surveyors claimed they also said that it, um, the alignment of the stones could be consistent with the astronomy of a few thousand years ago, and radiocarbon analysis points to human occupation of the area as far back as 2000 B.C. Now, you can go to their website. It's StonehengeUSA.com, and this is how they describe it. A maze of man-made chambers, walls, and ceremonial meeting places, America's Stonehenge is most likely the oldest man-made construction in the United States. Like Stonehenge in England, America's Stonehenge was built by ancient people well-versed in astronomy and stone construction. It has been determined that the site is an accurate astronomical calendar. It was and still can be used to determine specific solar and lunar events of the year. So, again, that's what their website says, Um, but that has been disputed several times. If you go to Crystal Links, which is one of Deb and my favorite website for researching all sorts of mysterious things, she says that artifacts found on the site um, have led archaeologists to the conclusion that the stones were actually assembled for a variety of reasons by local farmers in the 18th and 19th centuries. For example, a much-discussed sacrificial stone, which contains grooves that some say channel blood, closely resembles the lye-leaching stones found on many old farms that were used to extract lye from wood ashes, which is the first step in manufacturing soap. Carbon dating of charcoal pits at the site provided dates from 2000 B.C. to 173 B.C. when the area was populated by ancestors of current Native Americans. In archaeological chronology, this places indigenous use of the site into either the late archaic or the early woodland time periods. In 1982, David Stewart Smith, director of restoration at Mystery Hill, conducted an excavation of a megalith found in the stone quarry to the north of the main site. His research uh, team, which included um, a New Hampshire state archaeologist, excavated this site and discovered hundreds of chips and flakes from the stone. Both the state archaeologist and Dr. Stuart Smith concurred that this was evidence of indigenous tool manufacturing consistent with Native American lithic techniques, although no date could be ascertained. It is possible that in its original form, the site may have been one of the ceremonial stone landscapes um, or a sacred landscape that was built for ceremonial purposes. Um, But there's some interesting information about the um, original property owner um, of 1823, Jonathan Petit. Again, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's P-A-T-T-E-E. Would you say that, Petit? Petit? The recent history of the hill starts with him. He he lived on that farm from 1826 to 1848. Um, 
there's a lot of weird stories about him. Some say he was a robber. Um, some say he ran an illicit still. Some say he operated a stop on the Underground Railroad um, and, hit, and helped escape slaves, find safety. One thing is for sure is that he used one of the structures as a cellar for his farmhouse. Rumors are all around that he built the structures with the help of his five sons for no apparent reason. This, however, seems unlikely as one of the site stones was found locked in the stump of a tree that started growing around 1769, long before he came to the area. Um, he was said to have turned the stone caves and structures into a way station for the Underground Railroad hiding slaves in the ancient stones found there. Um, so he was a very wealthy man of the time, and people believe that there's a chance that he could have added to the site, that there was something there, but maybe he added to it. Hmm. Um, but still, a lot of people don't know. Ancient inscriptions can still be found on the, sto- on the stones that were used to build um, part of the structure. Even as the Mystery Hill site was being hauled away by quarrymen, other sites like it um, are still being discovered in the area. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. That's oh, a good picture. In New Hampshire, and and mm-hmm. have you ever seen these stones, Samantha? No, no, I have never seen them in person. Oh. Deb, I keep getting kicked out of the chat room, just so you know. Uh, I see you do. I keep seeing that. But at least we're both here on, on The Voice, so that's good. This is true. <laughs> I know. Okay, dear, anything else from that? No, I just, you know, I find I find it so fascinating that, you people, you know, inhabiting America goes back to 2000 BC. I find that just mind-boggling. But you have to remember that that that's that we come at that perspective of the habitation of this continent from an invading perspective. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. here millions of years before white people got here. Well, tell me this, you know, with America Stonehenge or um, England Stonehenge, let's say with America Stonehenge it's true that it was built as a way to honor the summer and winter solstice. Mm-hmm. Does that have implications beyond farming? Beyond farming? For people, do you think? Yeah, well, like I've always it. read that that it was used to mark the time of the season so they would know about, you know, when to start planting and when to start harvesting. But sure, that's more of a ceremonial the, the overt reason for that, but there's also the spiritual reason of honoring the transition of the season and the deities that are often accompanied, that we think of as accompanying the shifting of the seasons. Okay. I always wonder because you know there's they talk about the summer and winter solstice, but there are four seasons. But you always hear about these sites being aligned mainly to December twenty first and June twenty first. Right, but in, in almost all indigenous cultures, there are rituals and and commemorations that also honor the equinoxes. In the pagan tradition, the the autumnal equinox is called Mabon. And it's a harvest festival, and the mm-hmm. uh, spring equinox is called Ostara, and it honors the goddess Ostara and the birthing of, of uh, lambs and chickens, and a transition into bunnies into into the spring season. 
and I have a lot of that would be a, um, I was just going to say that would be a neat show to talk about how so many of these pagan holidays morphed into Christian holidays. Well, I could be delighted to do that show. Um, yeah, that, that would be interesting. Anyway, can't that's all that. I have on America's Sternage. Okay, but I just need to say I can't speak of that in terms of um, first peoples of this continent. Um, right. Because um, I, we don't know. We, right. we don't have information. You know. So anyway. Okay, so the fourth one we're going to talk about is Casa Grande Ruins. And uh, it's a national monument in Casa Grande, Arizona. Um and and this is it's, when you look at it on the web, it's not so terribly much to look at. It's a uh, it's the ruins of a house that, but the interior of the house had um, was four stories high, and around it was three stories. So here's here's what we know about it. Um, we know that it was created by uh, it's a pueblo basically. So we know it was created by uh, Pueblo dwellers, but the date, mm, not so sure. Um, maybe 13th century, uh, 1300s, um, 1400s, 13th century. Uh, so there we go, sometime around the 1400s. But what we know is that... Um, it lasted for it was there for some many years and then was just abandoned. The people who inhabited this place just disappeared somewhere around fourteen fifty um, The structure is made of this amazingly strong adobe like um material kind of this rock it's called uh caliche c a l i c h e and it's survived seven centuries, so it's pretty tough stuff to build things with. Um, it we know that it was wait let me get back to my notes in another section here uh, okay here's what we know let me get back to it we know that it was an ancient sonorian I've never heard this word s-o-n-o-r-a-n sonorian desert people who built this structure um, they did a lot of irrigation farming. They had extensive trade connections for over a thousand years. That's this, that's what I was looking for for the dates. For over a thousand years, that lasted until about 1450. Um, there, they found some pottery. They found some uh, canals for irrigation. Um, we're not real sure how this group of people were connected to Hopi and Zuni people. Um, because there's no separate word in any of their language for for this um, structure, so we don't really know about that. We do know that it just was left empty, um, and it was empty by the time um, some of the uh, Spanish people uh, came into in, into that area. So we know uh, that it was it was empty, for example, by 16. Uh, 94. There was some uh, research done in the 1880s by anthropologist Adolf Bandelier, um, and he said that um, the, the building was beginning to deteriorate, and at that point several people from Boston 
began to repair and protect the ruins, and they began to they built a um, a, a roof over it basically that's still there. The roof is still there to protect it. Um, so, and then it became a part of the national park system. So it was designated a national monument in 1918. But the the real question here is, who built this place? What did they do? How did they live here for a thousand years? And why did they just disappear, leaving virtually nothing behind? Like you were talking about with the tunnels, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's um, there's no uh, place where they would, a midden we would call it, where they would dump pottery or bones and that kind of stuff. It's just gone. There's just no reason there to know what happened to it. Um, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the missing uh, first colony in Roanoke. Where all they yeah, when, found oh. scribbled in the tree was Powhatan. Right, Croatan. Croatan. Cro- yeah, thank you. You're welcome. That, uh, I mean, that's, that just blows my mind. Like, we, everybody leaves some, everybody leaves garbage behind at least, right? You would think. <laughs> that's exactly true. But there are, there's not. It's, they don't know. They just don't know. It is interesting to know that over the past uh, 10 or 15 years, there have been owls living in the roof overhead. So I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, you can't you can't go in. You can't go into it. Uh, it's closed off. So um, somebody has written you, in the chat room, I live in Arizona. Area? Huh? Can you visit it? Or you, or you just can. can't go you inside? Can. You can visit it. You just okay. can't go inside. Um, she, this person says she's seen some really interesting hikes on the Sonorian Desert, uh, and I'm sure you have because it's a fascinating place out there. But it's just, and you know, that's also true. I mean, we do have some information about the Anasazi ruins and the people who lived there, and and what their lives were like. But we have virtually nothing to to tell us about this just gone place, just gone. And I just think that's just wow. sad. And there aren't even, like, stories that have been passed on about the people that may have lived there? Because I always look to stories for, you know, clues to the history. I, I do, too. I do, too. And I could find nothing except, you know, what what the um, National Park folks came in and, and did, and isn't that wonderful, you know? Mm-hmm. And they did. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mean to count that. But, but you know, it um, it's just... Not very much that tells you anything about that. Um, you know, we have so many listeners um, that we are super grateful for who, you know, do not live in America. So for all of you who don't live in America, there are so many times when I'm like, oh, like, uh, we don't have, like, that super ancient, amazing history that you find in, you know, Europe or Asia or Africa. And I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, if you want to... Um, get into historical mysteries in America, you're probably going back to about the 1600s. But I feel, I hope that tonight's show has shown how very, very false and untrue that is. You know, there is a deep, rich history right here in America. Yeah, it just isn't necessarily the, the mainstream um, the folks who came over from Europe to, that is it's their story. Samantha, I want to add a story tonight. Um, sure. To, to our conversation, 
because uh, I had a conversation with Joel this morning, and uh, I've been doing research on this all day, and I'm just, it's just driven me insane. It's the coolest thing. Um, now, let me find it. Okay. So in the 1600s, in, from 1620 to 1631, so for 11 years, a nun from Spain whose name was Sister Marie Yesu. Oh, I've lost her name. Uh, uh, oh, I wrote it down. Okay, yeah. good. Would you put it in the chat room for me? All right, so Sister yes, Maria claimed that she could bilocate. She could be in her convent in Spain, and she could also come to the San Luis Valley and witness and preach the gospel of Jesus to local folks. Well, of course, this was during the time of the Inquisition, and so she was taken into the Inquisitors who said, you're a witch and, and you're done. And so here's what happened. Uh, explorers to the Southwest described uh, when they went to when they met the native people the native people already knew about christianity in this in the san luis valley they had learned it they said from the blue lady who came and preached to them this woman who was wearing a blue habit and that they were very willing to become christians and were anxious to be baptized her body sister maria de jesus Agrita, her body is incorruptible. Uh, she was, um, she's in a casket with a glass. Tell, tell people what that means, real quick, for people who she don't looks know just, what that she means. looks alive. She's been dead for a yeah. really long time, and nothing has happened to her body. It has not decayed. Uh, they opened her casket in 1909, and she was in a pristine body in peaceful repose. It says here, they opened it again in 1989 and nothing had changed she still looks the same wow is that wild yeah the whole concept of incorruptible fascinates me i mean you can google it and you can see pictures there's not a lot of saints that have that aspect to them but there are some and it is just you know it's crazy to think about. Like, why do some people not decompose? Well, I know that's. A, I mean, we could have, a, we're, and we will at some point have a whole show, I'm sure, on that topic. But, but I was also fascinated in the fact that she could bilocate, and that there yeah. was. The well, you people, know, and the, um, the San Luis Valley okay. is famous for some bizarre things that go on there, and this mm-hmm. is just adds more to it. You know, here were these mm-hmm. uh, folks. I suppose. I'm not sure, but I would think Ute and Arapaho folks are, are the primary residents, were the primary residents of the San Luis Valley, but I'm not sure I've got that right. Um, and here she was, you know, telling them all about Jesus in the 1600s. And then when the Spanish Inquisition, the conquistadors came, they already knew about him and said so they learned it from the Blue Lady. The Blue Lady, Wow. How brave. Can you imagine coming to a country like America in the 1600s you know, yeah, as a woman? Can you imagine how brave? Travel. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. That's she very, just, very true. Yeah, she can get on a boat. She didn't ask to travel. Isn't that wild? That is. So just Gosh, another fascinating imagine. thing to it's, think about. And if people are interested, they can read, um, what, what, what did you say the book is called, Enter the Valley? Enter the Valley is the name of it, yeah. Um, yeah. It's the name of the book. Hold on a minute, and I'll give you the whole title. Um, here, I've got it opened up here because I was going to order it. Enter the Valley, UFOs, Religious Miracles, Cattle Mutilations, and Other Unexplained Phenomenon in the San Luis Valley. See, I think the San Luis Valley is a portal. Well, a lot of folks do. A lot of folks think that. Uh, and I, I do, that because so much them. weird, funky stuff happens there. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So, you know, I hope that as we close out tonight that uh, folks, well, we've, we've picked some interest in folks looking at some uh, peculiarities and oddities uh, here in the United States about our, our wonderful landscape and about uh, the history that goes far, far uh, further back than the Vikings or Christopher Columbus or those guys, you know. I really do hope that's yeah, true. I agree. And do some fun research and explore right in your own hometown because there's mysteries everywhere. That's exactly right. And in right. the meantime, we invite you to be the light. Be the light. Thank you all so very much for being with us. And uh, we hope um, you all have a great week. Take care, everyone. Good night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.